0: Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the Leadex Show with New York Times best-selling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur Kevin Cruz. How can you unlock your team's potential with just seven coaching questions? Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here, and in just a minute we're going to talk about a simple habit that will change the way you lead forever. But first, congratulations to all of you for being lifelong learners and so proactive with your career. You turn on the LeadX show when you tie your sneakers and head out for that morning jog, or maybe you're turning on the show when you turn on your car for your morning commute. Either way, whenever you listen, you know LeadX will help you to stand out and get ahead. Tell your friends at work LeadX is the smartest way to start your day. And also big thanks to all of you who subscribed to the show last week on iTunes and left a rating or one or two sentence review. It only takes a minute, but it's the single best favorite you can do for me. And today's career tip is how are you feeling? <laughs> the next time you're running a meeting at the very end, go around the room and ask each participant, how you feeling or how you feeling about this right now? You'll see that it forces everyone to sort of check in with their agreement or alignment, or lack thereof, with what was discussed and any decisions that were made. It's a chance to get everything on the table, even from the introverts. And if people don't leave their true thoughts and feelings in the room, well, they're going to express them out in the hallway at the water cooler and to other people who weren't invited into that meeting. And I find that how are you feeling is better than what do you think or any final thoughts? I think when you talk about thoughts, it's too easy for people to say, nope, nothing else. I'm all good. When you ask how they feel, it magically brings up responses like nervous or a little frustrated. And that's an opportunity to get some discussion around it, some additional alignment and closure before everyone walks out the door. How you feeling? Now, our guest today left Australia 22 years ago to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. But he says his only significant achievement at Oxford was falling in love with a Canadian, which is why he now lives in Toronto. He's the author of several books, including Do More Great Work and End Malaria, which is a collection of essays from leading thinkers. And it raised $400,000 for the nonprofit Malaria No More. He's the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons, a company that helps organizations all over the world to do less good work and more great work. We're together to talk about his latest book, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. Our guest is Michael Bungay Stanier. Michael, welcome
1: to the show. Kevin. I'm happy to be here, and if you'd like to know how I'm feeling, I'm feeling excited, (laughs) feeling full of anticipation, I'm feeling honored to be invited onto the show, so thank you. (laughs) The pleasure is all ours, and I
0: match your anticipation. And we're going to talk about the coaching habit in just a minute, Michael, but I always start with the first question. Will you open up and share with our listeners a time when you actually failed, maybe early in your career? (laughs) What'd you learn from it? Because we want to learn from your pain and failure, too.
1: So many stories. (laughs) So many stories. I mean, you know, I left law school being sued by one of my law school lecturers for defamation. You know, that was about, I got banned from my high school graduation.
0: My goodness. A balloon
1: incident. So, like, I've I've, I've collected my scars along the way. Um, But the story I'll tell you is this there's a, a company I was working with, and we ended up giving the boss, or I ended up giving her the nickname Red Dot. Because you know when you watch a movie, Kevin, and the assassin trains their laser <laughs> rifle on somebody's head, and that little red dot appears. Yes. Well, that was what her team meetings were like. Her weekly meetings. She was under a ton of stress. Uh, we were we were trying to lead a change project, a rebranding project for the organization. It was just going from bad to worse, and basically we walk in. Red Dot would train her gaze onto somebody. (laughs) They'd proceed to get eviscerated in this meeting. Everybody else is kind of ducking for cover or (laughs) looking at their shoes or looking at the ceiling trying to avoid that. And, you know, I was seeing that was happening. And I was framing it through a, a model, a lens called the drama triangle. The drama triangle basically says when things go wrong, three roles play out. There's the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer. And these roles trigger each other. And here's what I learned. She was coming in as the persecutor, you know, that kind of crazy bully, you know, take no prisoners sort of attitude. And what I noticed was that I would get pushed into one of the other two roles. I'd either be the victim kind of complaining and whining and, oh, it's so hard, or the rescuer, you know, just trying to work even harder and trying to placate her in some ways. And what I noticed is neither of those roles changed anything. And actually, it was only by getting out of the drama triangle, by breaking some of the patterns that were playing out, that I could try and get a better working relationship with this particular person. Mm. So that was my, that was, you know, we failed. I actually got fired from that job about three months later, which was fantastic because it was the the moment that I got to launch Box of Crayons. So it was one (laughs) of those moments where, like, thank you for pushing me out of that particular nest because I can finally fly. But, you know, understanding that, when you're in a dysfunctional experience, what you get to control is your own behavior in response to what's happening. That is a really central part of growth and learning for me,
0: Michael. This is uh, I, I'm re- I, I didn't realize you were gonna um, you know share this story, of course, but I'm glad you did because you mentioned the drama triangle and and listeners. In Michael's book, The Coaching Habit, he talks about the drama triangle. And it was actually the first time I had encountered that model or had heard about it. And um, Michael, you have sort of a, a, you know, a funny story about yourself in the book. And, and you say often, you know, we play all three roles really quickly uh, in an incident. And, you know, the key again is we can't always control what happens to us, the, the red dots out there in, in the world. However, we can control our own behavior and break out of some of these patterns.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you think of those three roles, the victim, the persecutor and the rescuer, people instinctively know what those three roles look like. You know, the victim, the whiny, complainy person, the persecutor, the kind of shouty finger waggler or the, or the micromanager. And then the rescuer, that person who jumps in and says, give it to me, fix it. I'll fix it. I'll take it on. All three of them are dysfunctional. They're all equally dysfunctional. But here's what's interesting, Kevin. When you say, look, you get how the, the triangle works. You get the three roles. Which role do you think you play most often? And when we teach this, we have people standing around the triangle. I say, go and stand by the <laughs> role that you play most often. Like 90 to 95% of people will self-identify as the rescuer.
0: Mm. And, and before you continue, I got
1: to admit, that's probably where I would have gone. And then you go, well, so how's that working for you? <laughs> and people go, It's terrible. I am exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to do other people's work and never quite getting to my own. I'm starting to realize that rescuers create victims and rescuers create persecutors. And why this is important in this conversation, Kevin, is that one of the challenges with talking about coaching is that a lot of people go, Yeah, yeah, coaching. I've heard of it, of course. It's an HR thing. HR want me to add it onto my already very busy list of things to do. I'll try and get round to it, but I may not. And what I want people to understand about coaching is that it's not something to add on to what you already do. It's a way of transforming what you currently do so that you're more effective in the work that you do. And what's powerful about coaching and being more coach-like which when it boils down to it means can you stay curious a little bit longer and can you rush to action and advice just a little bit more slowly what that does being more coach like is one of the surefire ways of pulling you out of the drama triangle so if you're nodding your head and recognizing the drama triangle and going oh my god that's just explained every relationship i've ever had (laughs) my parent my children my spouse my boss my team if you want to break the drama triangle, one of the muscles to develop is how do I get to be more coach-like? And mm. that's what this conversation is about and what the book is about. So, Michael, I want to – and this is like off off script, but I want to go even uh, a little bit
0: deeper into the drama triangles. I'm finding it fascinating I think this is super valuable. So, with mm-hmm. what you just said about most people would go into the rescuer point of the, of the triangle or side of the triangle and, and you're talking uh, – now, I'm paraphrasing, but you're saying, you know, you're really enabling persecutors, right? And this is a problem. Got it. So yeah. clarify for me, though, you know, is there a fine line? And I'm thinking back when I was really starting young. I was probably 21, 22 years old. I can remember working in this uh, drug company and, and a higher up executive. It was Friday night. Something needed to get out the door and
1: it it didn't go out by five. And I are, are, you, are you talking a pharmaceutical company or actually literally heroin or, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that? pharmaceutical <laughs> company for sure.
0: And and I volunteered to help this executive who was up a few chains above me to work late, you know, that uh, that Friday night. And I saved the day getting things out before midnight or whatever it was. And I thought I was awesome. Right. I thought I was a hero. And as I was walking out, there was one other guy who stayed behind. It was sort of mid level. And he said, Kevin, you just taught him the next time he can let it go till Friday at midnight once more. And I, I struggle with that because I get that enabling thing. I get mm-hmm. that enabling thing. And yet I also feel like it's good to be helpful. It's good to work hard. It's, it's good to apply your talents to help people out. So where's the fine line
1: between you know, being proactive and helpful, great contributor yeah. versus rescue? It is a fine line and it's a subtle thing. But one of the fundamental things to be thinking about is is when you're in the drama triangle – and the behavior exhibiting, whether it's a rescue or, or either of the other two roles, it's typically not a mindful choice, but a reaction to the situation. Mm. You kind of get triggered into it. So before you know it, you're doing that thing again. And you, part of you is frustrated, which is like, ah, oh, it's this happening again? But it's, because it's a habit and you haven't really thought about it, you just suck it into the drama triangle. So that's the big part of it. That, that, makes, that, that clears it up. That makes a lot of sense. Because being at choice is what this is about. You know, in some ways, this work is about how do you get to be more mindful and thoughtful and at choice or in the work that you do. The fourth question of the book is called the foundation question. That question is, what do you want? And it, it's foundational because it is an easy question to ask and often a hard question to answer. And one of the ways to, to manage the drama triangle is when things get dysfunctional. And, you know, they always get dysfunctional. Ask yourself, what do I want here? Ask yourself, what might they want? Or even more, ask them directly, what do you want here? And somebody once said an adult-to-adult relationship, and I would love our working relationships to be more adult-to-adult in our workplace, is being able to ask for what you want, knowing that the answer may be no. Mm, That's great. All of that to say that in that interaction with that senior executive – there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but part of what determines whether you're in the drama triangle or not is your intention, right. whether it was a mindful choice or not, whether you got what you wanted from this as well as giving what you wanted to get give from that, whether you got, kind of – you did train that person to go, excellent, I can leave it till next Friday and <laughs> you know Kevin will come in and save my backside again. Or whether you're going, no, you know what, this is me being helpful and we're clear about that and we're working it out. Right. So only you know whether you were triggered into the drama triangle around that. Right. And the other key thing to know about the drama triangle is that it is a self-management tool. It's not about forcing this on somebody else. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, let me tell you what's not going to work. You going home tonight and turning to your spouse and going, I just learned about this model. You are absolutely a persecutor. That explains everything. You're a nightmare. That, that Now you're in the drama triangle again. Now you're the persecutor yourself, right? But it's really about am I showing up the way I want to at work? Is this the best version of myself? And I can promise you that when you're in the drama triangle, you're not seeing the best version of yourself.
0: Yeah, and I think um, Michael, you just uh, saved me from 30 minutes from now making a complete fool of myself. So I'm glad you just <laughs>
1: added this little this this little part. So Kevin, I'm I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you mentioned a great question, the foundation question. But let me back up a little bit. So, and again, mm-hmm. listeners, it's the coaching habit. Say less. Ask more, change the way you lead forever. And I want to start at the beginning. I mean, the fundamentals of why, I mean, you wrote an entire book about coaching. This isn't one chapter in how to be a leader, an entire book. And you're also saying we need to make it a habit. So explain all of that for us.
1: Yeah. So I want coaching to be seen not as an occasional event or an obligation forced onto you by HR or whatever. I want you to understand that coaching is just a foundational leadership behavior, I mean, Daniel Goldman, who some of you may know that name, he kind of made emotional intelligence popular. He wrote a book in the, an article in the Harvard Business Review 2001, I think, called Leadership That Gets Results. And he says, look, there's actually six different styles of leadership, and great leaders know how to use all six of those styles. Mm. Coaching was one of them, but it was the least utilized, even though it could be shown to have the most impact on culture, on engagement, I think second or third on profitability. Wow. And I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? Everybody knows that coaching is useful. There's nobody really in this world going, I'm anti-coaching. I really think command and control is the way to go. But for some reason, it's hard to make the behavior change to make that work. So the design of the book is just – I mean when I was writing – and Kevin, I know you've written books before. You know this, the the, <laughs> the agony and the ecstasy of book right? <laughs> But my goal when I wrote this book was to say, what's the shortest book I could write that would be most useful? Right. That's why there's only seven questions in it. Because I was like, I could give people 98 questions, but that's not useful. I could give people two questions and that may not be as useful as it could be. Seven turned out to be the sweet number. But because what I care about is not people knowing the questions, but people asking the questions. Mm. The focus is on behavior change. And here's the thing. Everybody listening to this podcast right now, and I'm going to be bold, but I'm going to say it, you are all advice-giving maniacs. I mean, you love it. You don't even know what the problem is, but you've got an opinion on what the answer should be. And I'm trying to shift that rush to action and advice. I want you to stay curious a little bit longer. Now, knowing the questions, great start. There's only seven questions. But if you don't know how to start building habits, habits are the building blocks of behavior change. And there's a ton of made-up stuff out there in the world about habit change, such as if you do it for 21 days, it becomes a habit. That's just wrong. Somebody made that up, and now it's, it haunts the internet like a you know zombie that won't die. But habits, you know, there's lots of good stuff out there. You look at the work of Charles Duhigg and his book The Power of Habit, uh, B.J. Fogg and his great website tinyhabits.com and we we created this thing called the the habit the new habit formula simple three part formula that says if you understand those the habit building you you can build new behaviors if you build new behaviors you get to change yourself as a manager as a leader as a person
0: love it and listeners I just need to anchor something here it uh, is about this book and if you haven't encountered it um Michael's book The Coaching Habit it's I mean it's it's one of the blockbusters you know of the last year it's really big and I think it's solid content but what jumped out at me is exactly what Michael just said behavior change most of these books that are written and again i read one a day and interview the author some great advice some great knowledge and ideas but no um you know no real practical way to integrate it into your very very busy days this is a different kind of book this is something that is going to change your behaviors your leadership behaviors and i think that's why uh, it's been so successful and michael you suggest that there's seven questions, as you say, to ask in a coaching conversation. We can't go deep into all of them because of the short format of this show. And I, you know, I think our listeners will see um, I love this book and they'll get it, but kick us off. You know, walk us through the first few questions and, and why you've chosen these to start the coaching conversation.
1: Let me do this. Let me give you the first and the last question. You've already got the fourth one, which is the foundation question, what do you want? So now you've got the kind of the first, the fourth, and the seventh. So it's a nice pattern there. But we call the first and the last questions the bookend questions. Mm -hmm. It's like how do you start a conversation more quickly? How do you finish it more strongly? Now, our fundamental starting point, Kevin, is this. If you can't coach somebody in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach them. So you've got to make sure that these these conversations that are more coach like are fast and to the point. So, the opening question, the kickstart question, is how do you get into a conversation that's interesting more speedily rather than that kind of slow meandering? Oh, I hope we're going to get to the point sometime soon because time's running out. Oh, we didn't. Never mind. So, here's the opening question What's on your mind? Now, why it works so well is that it gives them the control of the conversation. You're not telling them what to talk about. You're saying, you get to choose. I'm giving you autonomy. I'm giving you that powerful thing around picking where we go with this conversation. It's a great engagement technique right there. But you're not saying to them, so just tell me anything. You're saying to them, pick the thing that matters, what you're excited about or worried about or you know, waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning about I mean honestly, if you if you have direct reports and you do that weekly one to one meeting, which for so many of us sucks quite badly because it's <laughs> you know, it's like an hour reporting out of stuff and right. you're trying to look interested and they're trying to look interested and you're like, What's the point of that? You could have just sent me an email and I could have scanned it in three minutes. Tweak your, your, your one-to-one meetings and and, and t- tell them you're gonna do this beforehand, but say to them, so You've got a lot going on. You're busy. Tell me of all the stuff that you're working on, what's on your mind? And you're going to go somewhere more challenging and more interesting. It's going to be a better conversation.
0: That's great. So
1: that's the kickstart question. The the final question, the learning question. Because here's your job as a manager, as a leader, as somebody who's influencing people around you. I think you can frame your job as being a teacher. You should be helping people learn. Because when you help people learn, you're helping them become more confident, more confident, more autonomous, smarter, more effective, all those things that not only helps them, but honestly, it helps you. Because if you've got a bunch of smart, competent, confident, autonomous people working for you, you get to see the fruits of their labors and you all get to enjoy the success of that. But to be a teacher, you have to understand how people learn. And honestly, people don't learn when you tell them stuff. That's a problem because most of us, advice-giving maniacs. Right. But, you know, you give most people advice, A, they don't really remember. It kind of goes in one ear and out the other ear. Yeah? Secondly, to be honest, most of your advice isn't nearly as good as you think it is. <laughs> so There's that. They don't even really learn when they're doing stuff. They do kind of a little bit but not so much. They learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. So here's the practical thing you could do. At the end of your team meetings, of your one-on-one chats, of your emails, of your IMs, with your team, with your boss, with your peers, with your customers, with your vendors, at the end of those interactions, pause for a moment and say something like, look, this has been great. But before you head off, let me just ask out of curiosity, what was most useful or most valuable here for you? And if you want, you can be bold and you can tell them what was most useful or valuable for you in that interaction. But what happens is three things. Number one, you get them to figure out and extract the value from the exchange that you've just had. And honestly, you may be thinking that this was a genius conversation. They may be going, I have no idea what the point of all that was about. So now you're forcing them to find the value. Secondly, you're getting feedback on this. So you're actually hearing what was useful. and You probably get to adapt and adjust what you do and how you do it. And thirdly, and kind of more cunningly, you're framing every interaction with you as a useful, valuable interaction. So you become a useful, valued manager, leader, partner, peer, whatever it might be.
0: Wow. And and I know that final bookend question you know, what jumped out at me and even more than when I read the book, Michael, was the way you uh, you set it up, that it doesn't have to be this uh, checklist approach where, OK, here's question seven. Let me look down on the page. I'm going to look up and read the question right. to you. And, you know, you're going to tell me back. What did you find most valuable? I like the way you set up. It's like, Hey, you know, before you go, can you, I'm just curious. Why don't you tell me what was, what was most valuable? And I, and I think that conversational, non-threatening way, you know, invites an honest
1: answer and doesn't make it seem like some fake theatrics. Mm-hmm. You picked up on one of the subtle things that I did. That's a great thing for people to hear and build into their own habits, which is the phrase out of curiosity when you put that in front of any question, it just makes it feel less significant, less important that you better get the answer right or I'm going to punish you somehow. So whatever you say, just out of curiosity, what's on your mind? Hey, out of curiosity, what's the real challenge here for you? Just out of curiosity, what was most useful or valuable about this podcast with Kevin and Michael? You know, it just makes it lighter, but you still get to ask the question directly. Yeah, I'm a big fan of
0: key phrases. I think words can be magical. And i that's a gift you just gave me and our listeners of, you know, just out of curiosity. I think that's powerful. And the other thing I wanted to also emphasize is, you know, great adult learning theory shows, again, the whole kind of didactic lecturing model doesn't work. Yeah, terrible terrible. They call it uh, another, the alternate theory they call is constructivism. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, the, we construct our own learning and that's exactly everyone. What, you know, Michael's seventh question does it's forcing that extraction back. So it's like, okay, I've got to now recall it. I've got to think about it and recall it, which also, which also anchors it, of course, tremendous. And, and no, but- I, I do have a follow-up on, on, um, your approach, because so you're talking about using these seven questions and having this conversation, even if it's just 10 minutes, making a habit out of it. So is is this something that um, we would do during that <laughs> during that weekly one on one? And what do you think about the other advice about coaching where uh it's like that motto from the the security agency here in the states that says if you see something say something you know it's a big motto and, and uh you know so i'm i'm like so if i see somebody doing something let's just say wrong or could be better yeah. do i break out the seven questions on the spot or is that a different kind of coaching
1: yeah it's a great question so the two parts to it the first part is to say I think every interaction you have with somebody has the potential to be more coach-like. So you can do this in email. You can do it by chat. You can do it casual conversation. It can be a more formal conversation. All of them you could go, hey, maybe I can just be a little bit more curious here rather than rushing into action and advice giving. So what we're looking to do is not add to what's already there. We're not trying to pour water into a full glass. What we're trying to do is put a little bit of food coloring into that water and just transform what you currently do. Then to your second point, which is, well, what about the feedback moment where there's, they're you know, making a mistake? Do you ask them questions? Do you, do you do something else? What happens with that? Well, coaching and feedback dance together on the same floor. You know, They're a really powerful partnership if you can combine them well. And there are times when somebody's making a mistake, what you need to be doing here is not asking them a question but actually giving them some direct feedback. Now, we don't have time to jump into too much detail about that, but here's what I would say are the four key components of, of feedback. This comes is kind of derived from something called nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg's work, and he says, look, everything you do, everything you talk about, communication has four parts to it. The data, those are the facts. Your feelings, so your your re- emotional response to what's going on. Your judgments, so that's your opinion and your interpretation of the data and then what, what you want or what you need. Now, in most feedback, what happens is there's this unholy combination between data and judgments, and we try and make <laughs> it all sound like it's the truth. Feelings don't get talked about at all because we're all uptight white men <laughs> right. well, or some variation on that. Um, and then there's not a clear request for what's wanted or what's needed. So if, you're, if you see somebody making a mistake and you go, I've got to start this, with feedback the fastest thing you can do is going what's the data here I mean what what's truly fact what are my judgments and which of those judgments are actually useful because some judgments won't be the judgments that I've hired a complete loser and they're looking to sabotage <laughs> my career not useful right right and then what do I want what do I need what's the request I want to make and the spine of your conversation needs to be the data and what do you want and what do you need what's true And then what's the request you want to make for what's different? And if you get that done, then that often leads into an opportunity to use the coaching questions in some way. Beautiful. Michael, last question before we wrap up. I always
0: challenge our listeners to try to become just a little bit better every single day. So I want you to challenge us. What is something you want to have us do today? We can try out today to get a little bit better.
1: So you know the thing, that the drum I've been banging throughout this whole conversation with Kevin is stay curious a little bit longer, rush to action and advice just a little bit slower. And some of you get that already, which is fantastic. I've given you three of the seven questions. I'm going to give you the fourth question. And this is the best coaching question in the world. The acronym is A-W-E. Uh, so it's literally an awesome question. <laughs> and I call it the best coaching question in the world because it's a way of enhancing every other question you ask. And the question is... And what else? Because the first answer anybody gives you to a question is never their only answer, and it's rarely their best answer. So when you ask a question, follow it up with, and what else? So, what was most useful and valuable here for this conversation with Kevin and me? Fantastic. What else was useful? Mm. Fantastic. What else was useful? Love it. Was there anything else useful? And can you see how just imagining that? just makes it for a deeper moment, a deeper moment of reflection and learning. So I'd say, look, if you're going to take one question away to really practice, to use, to make a habit, and what else could be that question? Awesome. I love that. Michael, big thanks for coming on the show.
0: Uh, Please tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your work.
1: Love it. So here's three ways. If you're interested in the book and the book alone, Thecoachinghabit.com, and by the way, there's a ton of downloads. You can download free chapters and videos and all sorts of stuff there. If you're interested in the programs, coaching Box of Crayons offers, because that's what we do. We're a training company teaching busy managers how to coach in ten minutes or less. Boxofcrayons.biz, b-i-z or b-i z depending on how you show up in this world and then if you'd like to connect with me personally i'm on linkedin that's my best social media place and you'll find that i'm the only michael bungay stanier in the entire universe so you will find me there makes it easy for personal branding huh that's right
0: (laughs) all right friends you've just been mentored just been coached just been taught by the great Michael Bungay-Stanier. Don't forget you can get all the links he just mentioned and the notes from this interview over at leadx.org, and you can get Michael's book from amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And that's it for today's episode. However, don't forget to download our free ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership at leadx.org forward slash Branson. And until next time, of course, remember, leadership is not a choice. Because leadership is influence and you're influencing those around you when you speak up, but also with your silence when you take action, but also when you choose to be a bystander. We are influencing people around us all of the time. We are all leaders. So for today, please lead with intent.